and welcome to the Cyber Sisters podcast, where your Cyber Sisters, Allison and Emily, two cyber educators talking edtech pedagogy and life in the digital age. Welcome back. We are so excited that you are joining us on our season finale part two, Allison and Emily's summer favorite things. We are so excited to share with you in this episode some of the things that we've loved this year but haven't had the opportunity to share with you and also talk about some of the professional development and some of the favorites that we're hoping to explore over the summer, get to know a little bit better, and maybe we'll see a try it episode on some of these things coming up next season. Um, now, we do have to start our episode the same way we've been starting all of them during this pandemic and this crisis, which is just with a little bit of a check-in. So, Emily, how are you doing? Safe, healthy, ready for summer? Yes, I'm in central PA here. Finally, actually, it's starting to feel like summer. Um, so that is super nice. I'm loving the warmer weather and the chance to to get outside some more because that always helps helps improve the mood. Yeah, I can't tell if it's just because we were inside so much this year, um, but it really did feel like summer st- or winter stretched uh, forever and ever and ever. And I am just so excited to have some fresh air to be getting out for walks again. Um, I think that is making a huge difference in, in terms of my mental well-being. Um, and also just knowing that there's a good rest coming up that we're actually going to get a chance to sort of um, take a breather from all of this. I definitely think that in education, we experienced such whiplash in terms of what this year brought um, that regardless of what schooling actually looks like when we sort of do come back in September, um, I think all of us are very much in need of a good break, um, a moment to sort of catch our breath, to to look around at everything and, and figure out where we are. So let's take a minute just to get a bird's eye overview of today's episode. Um, As you know, we are calling this Allison and Emily's Summer Favorite Things episode. Um, So we want to take the first uh, section of our podcast today just to talk about a few of the um, tips, tools, techniques, things that we've been using in the classroom during the year, been experimenting with during the year, um, but we haven't done a full podcast episode on. So we have those broken down into a couple of different categories. We're each going to talk about our favorite engagement technique, writing strategy, project project-based learning, critical thinking, or deeper reading skill, um, and then an organizational tool or technique for us teachers uh, to keep on track with all of those amazing ideas. We're going to wrap up today by looking at some professional development resources, including podcasts, summer reads, um, and other PD resources that we're going to be exploring this summer. And hopefully, we'll be able to check back in at the end of the summer and see which of these things we were actually able to accomplish, enjoy, um, and get some meaning and value out of. So I am really excited for this episode. Um, There is so much that happens in our classrooms besides the things that we've talked about on the podcast. So this is kind of a really nice way to cobble together, I think, some of those really interesting things. Um, So without further ado, why don't we go ahead and jump on in with our favorite engagement technique. So Emily, what is your favorite engagement technique from this school year that we haven't gotten to talk about on the podcast yet? My favorite engagement technique um, involves Nearpod. Uh, Nearpod is such a powerful tool in general. But as a history teacher, my favorite thing is the virtual field trips. I use them all the time because as much as I would love to take the kids on a big giant Europe trip and go to the Great Pyramids of Giza and the Great Wall of China and Pompeii and all of those places that we talk about, it's just not feasible. 
So I can use the virtual field trips in Nearpod and do 360 images to go to all of those places to explore them. And the kids love it. They're so engaged whenever we do a Nearpod. So definitely um, teacher-paced Nearpods for that. Um, and I'll throw in like a student-paced Nearpod here or there, but definitely for engagement, I love those virtual field trips on Nearpod. How about you? I, ironically for my engagement technique, also picked Nearpod, but I'm talking about it in a slightly different way. So one of the things that you're always trying to get students to do as an English teacher is have class discussions or small group discussions. Um, and this has been on my radar as an English teacher of something that I really needed to spend some time crafting and think about for years now, but I've been so focused on writing techniques and deeper critical reading techniques um, and independent reading techniques that I just never really had a chance to overhaul. And I feel like I kind of tripped and fell into this technique. So I wanted to take a minute to share it. So I've been using Nearpods as a way to guide class discussions. And part of the reason that this works so well is that Nearpod really is a collaboration-based tool. So they have those great collaborate boards. There's the ability to um, write in uh, a short answer and then share those with everyone who's in the group. Um, one of the things about the English 7 curriculum is at the beginning of the year, you're reading texts that are a little more simple in terms of their themes and ideas, but you're hoping that students will get an idea for general text structures. And as the year goes on, you're reading things that have more complicated text structures, more complicated character development, more character development across characters. You're working through novels or poetry, things that can be interpreted lots of different ways. Um, and Nearpod actually was a great way for me to teach discussion skills to my students because what I could do is I could um, create a question and then break down that discussion question um, in different ways. So the way that I usually set this up is I'll start with a discussion question and ask students to use the collaborate feature in Nearpod in order to respond sort of with their very first answer, right? So nothing that's particularly well crafted. It doesn't even have to be a complete sentence or a complete thought. Um, but I'll ask students once we've gotten a bunch of those answers up on the board to go through and like the ideas that they think are the strongest. Then we'll go to the next slide. Um, and that's usually a section of the text that I've pulled out and put on a draw it slide. And I'll ask for students to find evidence that will support the ideas that we just liked together as a class. Then we can move to the next slide and students can actually start crafting um, their response in something that is written, usually an open-ended question. And I can share out those answers that are particularly strong or well-written or have some aspect of something that I'm teaching that I want to, to use. I can then take those answers, right, um, and use those to create smaller discussion groups um, or to then, after we've had a chance to sort of go through and talk about this in a larger context, open up the mics or put students in groups so that they can talk a little bit more freely. But by then, they've had the opportunity to really engage with the text and the question on a larger level. And so that process is really scaffolded. And what I found was that I started doing this at the beginning of our Hobbit unit, and it took the students a while to get used to this process of kind of what's my first idea, what's the strongest of the ideas up here, is it supported in the text, 
Have I crafted it well? Now let's get into a discussion where your answer may be different than my answer. Um, and we actually have some evidence, some textual evidence that we can use to levy against it and create a deeper level of discussion. By the end of the unit, I had students who wanted to kind of rush through that process because they were able to make those connections more quickly. And so I was able to break out some of the groups and have maybe two Nearpods, one that was uh, just for the students in the main room and then another one that was either being led by a student um, uh, in an in individual discussion group or working with my co-teacher. Um, so it's a really great tool for scaffolding discussion because it's something that everyone can engage with and it's very easy to sort of show different parts of. Um, and it really did lead to more students talking back and forth. So it was an enjoyable uh, thing. I'm going to still kind of play and, and tweak a little bit over the summer, um, but great way to start some class discussions. And for those of you who don't know, a Collaborate Board in Nearpod is very similar to if you think of like an old school Padlet, um, similar to that concept of like throwing sticky notes on a board. Um, so Allison, as the ELA teacher of the group pair, I don't know that, <laughs> um, what's your, cause you're obviously much better at teaching writing than I am. I just pretend to do it sometimes. Um, what's your favorite writing strategy to use? So my favorite writing strategy and don't sell yourself short. You're actually a very, very good writing instructor. Um, uh, my favorite strategy this year, the thing that I really worked on this year, um, was making sure that my graphic organizer, um, was accessible in a digital space that was in the same document as where the students write. So my students turn in all of their writing using um, Google Docs. And up until this year, one of the big struggles that I had was getting my students to organize their writing before they actually turned it in. Um, I loved Google Docs in terms of what it could do for the back end. It has a Grammarly um, integration, which is super, super powerful. The comments feature is wonderful. Um, you can also do all sorts of inserting of sound recordings and videos and all sorts of the, the wonderful things that Google Docs does. The problem is that Google Docs uh, makes it very hard to make a graphic organizer. And I have struggled for years with um, if I ask the students to do their graphic organize, organizer maybe in a PowerPoint or in a PDF um, or even in person with themselves, I tried that one year, um, a lot of times the students just won't move from the graphic organizer if it's in one document to something else. Like I, I really struggled with them making that connection. Also, when I conference with my students, we're usually screen sharing. Um, and so I can see what's on their page as we're working together on their assignment. And I wanted to be able to just scroll up and say, look, look at, you know, this piece of evidence um, and this piece of evidence and notice how, you know, they're not the same quality or notice how um, in both of these, you're using the same piece of evidence in order to support um, different ideas, right? Um, and can we talk about how you might be able to use a different piece of evidence instead in order to diversify and show that you've done deeper and more critical reading? Um, so the big thing that I found this year was using Google um, drawings, inserting Google drawings into a Google document and using that as a graphic organizer. And I was really worried because when you insert a drawing that has text boxes or things like that um, into a Google document, in order to edit it, you have to click on the image and then everything is fully editable sort of in a separate window. And I wasn't sure, especially with some of my students who do struggle with executive function, if that was going to be um, something that they couldn't do or if it really made it 
of unmanageable and exactly the opposite happened. Um, so because what happens is you click on the image and it comes up as a box um, and the rest, everything is kind of grayed out around it. It allows the student to focus just on uh, what they're doing in the graphic organizer. And then when they save their drawing inside of the Google document, um, everything that they've written is right there. And it's very easy for them to just look up at what they actually created. So the way that you insert a Google drawing is super, super easy. You just basically on your Google document, go to insert um, drawing. It'll give you an option to um, pull something from your Google Drive or to create something new. I usually pick the uh, create something new because I'm not reusing a lot of these yet. Um, you can insert a background onto the drawing. You can add text boxes, shapes, movable things. There's a ton of stuff that you can do. Um, and I usually will create a text box and then say something like uh, type here or your answer here in each of the boxes um, and then insert that onto the page. One of the other things that you can do, um, and I tried this on the very last assignment where the students were working on a, a poetry assignment and there were different uh, stanzas that I wanted the students to be writing in and I wanted them to be drawing some images that went along with each stanza. Um, is that you can insert a stationary background onto the back of maybe one of the pages of your Google document um, and then insert a drawing over top of that um, and use that as your way to create essentially a text box. Um, so there's lots of different ways to do it, but I really have found that there's a lot of power, especially in our cyber environment, not having everything kind of broken up into different places um, to really have it be one uh, streamline um, uh, you know, step one, step two, step three, um, all in the same document and that students were able to much more easily flow through the writing process. So it's, it's something that I always looked at brick and mortar teachers and thought you have it so simple. You can have, you know, uh, your, your graphic organizer ne right next to where you write. Um, and now I can have that too in a cyber environment. And I am so thrilled. <laughs> I also was, for my writing strategy, I was trying to figure out graphic organizers too. Um, cause graphic organizers are just so tricky. Um, well, and they're so important to the writing process, right? Like right. getting students to really think before they write, because that's not their instinct at this age. Their instinct is just to jump in um, and to start putting words on the page. Uh, so you need a step, right? You need something that's going to sort of scaffold that experience because 1213, man, 1213 wants to just do. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I, my students are used to writing in their course, um, using the discussion board feature, which I don't always have it so that the whole class can see. So sometimes they use the discussion board, but it only submits just to me. But so they're used to that setup. So I didn't want to take them out of there for their final copy. Um, so I tried using some graphic organizers in Nearpod and using the Nearpod notes, and I wasn't too thrilled with that. Um, and I ended up in Seesaw, um, and I really liked Seesaw for a couple of reasons. Um, one is that you can do the same backgrounds in Seesaw that you can do in Google Drawings. So I would create my graphic organizer in whatever I wanted to create it with, um, and then I just save it as an image, and then I would put that image as the background on Seesaw, and they could type right on top of it. Um, and the other thing I really liked about Seesaw is that it was really easy to comment and then send it back to the student. So um, 
there was there was one set when we were working on a writing assignment and I ended up having to be out for a couple days. Um, they weren't full days. So like sometimes I was here and sometimes I wasn't. I had a series of doctor's appointments due to an injury. So because of me using the graphic organizer and Seesaw, even if they didn't have live class with me, I was able to say, work on your graphic organizer. And then I could comment and send it back. Um, and then they had the graphic organizer with my comments to work on when they were writing. Um, our The way that my course has set up, I just, it didn't allow anything like that. So using Seesaw really helped for that. Um, and I really liked the commenting and sending back feature. Um, that was that was huge for me. I think we have to, especially in this environment, have a really robust system for comments. Um, so whether you're using the the seesaw system, which a seesaw is one of the things that I want to spend some time with this summer because I I do think that it's a really fantastic program um, and it's very intuitive for the students, or, or even the things that you know I'm using right now in in a Google system. Um, there is a lot of value, I think, to making sure that students know how to get your feedback and how to apply your feedback um, from these different processes. And, and the faster that they can get your feedback, the less time that they are waiting on you to provide something, um, the more time that they're going to have uh, to learn and to apply those corrections um, and to sort of feel like they're in conversation with you, even if you're providing comments for, you know, 30 students at a time. Um, so that makes perfect sense to me. But speaking of comments, um, I think that this is kind of a perfect segue into um, project-based learning. So Emily, you did so many cool projects this year. Like, I feel like every time we talked about something that was not the podcast, it was always, I'm thinking about doing this cool thing for this unit. I've got a project idea, but I haven't thought about how to implement it yet. So have, did you have a favorite project this year? Um, something that you set up that was really cool that you think other people um, might be able to use themselves? Um, so my favorite project that we did this year is I had my students create a civilization um, and I've like tried to do this a couple different ways in previous years and it just never really stuck. And this year it finally like worked. So I was super excited. Um, so basically now that we're getting close to the end of the year, <laughs> um, we've talked about all of these civilizations. So I had my students create their own and I gave them basically a rubric of what had to be included. So they had to talk about what their government of the civilization was. And I told them, I was like, you can pick whatever government you want, but you have to tell me what kind it is. Um, Cause we talked about monarchies and we talked about democracies and we talked about oligarchies. So pick one that we talked about. So it brought in stuff from all year. Um, I told them they had to have a religion and they had to tell me whether it was monotheistic or polytheistic. We hit that a lot in our seventh grade curriculum. So I didn't care what their religion was. They just had to tell me which one it was and why. Um, Cause that's one of our like big ideas for seventh grade. Um, they had to tell me what people did for work. So what their economy was like, what technology they invented. And I said that they could either, they could create an invention that they made or just have their civilization create something that already exists. 
And they were so creative. I let them pick how they wanted to make it. So they could either do it in PowerPoint or do it. um, Some of them did it in Word. Some of them did it on a piece of paper. um, And then I let them, if they wanted to present it in class. So that was the option that they had. Some of them were so creative. Um, So it was, it was really cool to see as like a way to wrap up the year to, to bring everything we talked about all year together. I think that's so creative. Did they, like, what did the project look like when it was turned in? Was it like a written narrative of like, this is my civilization? Did they do a poster? Did it like have different ways of expression? How did they present to you what your civilization actually looked like? Most of them made PowerPoints or Google Slides. Um, I got a couple Word docs. I got a couple pictures of posters. Um, But by and large, most of them chose like just a presentation and some of them got super creative. Like one of my girls, like she based it on, I think it's a TV show. I can't remember. She told me what it was, but I didn't have enough of a background to actually know what she was telling me. Um, So she based it on something and she basically created a civilization for these characters to live in. Um, and created a government for them and created an economy for them and put it all into this PowerPoint um, about where they lived and what they did and the different the different characters had different jobs and it was amazing. It blew my mind. <laughs> that is so creative and like so adorable too as a place to take inspiration from, um, especially for those students who say, you know, I don't know what to think about for my civilization, you know, think of some favorite characters, think of a TV show um, that you watch, you know, if there's a fantasy novel that you've read, and you could create another civilization in that world, or something for these particular characters, what would you create, Um, especially because so much of TV and movies and books right now are sort of like, dystopia utopia things like you know what what should the civilization look like after the hunger games what should it look like um after maze runner or or some of these other you know things so i I think all of that is a fabulous fabulous idea how about you did you do because you've done some cool projects too i have well and i i really tried to up my game i think in the second half of this year. Now, obviously, everything that sort of happened, you know, pandemic level um, did did quash a couple of the project ideas that I had just because I didn't want to stress my students out too much with some of the things that we were working on. Um, but the, one of my biggest takeaways from this year goes back to the Petency episode about where projects should exist in a learning progression. Um, I was so impressed by in several of the uh, talks that I went to, teachers talked about the value of using projects and creativity um, and processes of creation as the pre-writing process to a more formal structured essay or paper. And I had always done the opposite previous. I had asked the students to do a very structured pre-writing, like a graphic organizer, um, and then, you know, write whatever they were going to write and then turn that into something creative as an extension activity. Um, And that that sort of gave me some leeway as a teacher to spend some time with the students who needed more structural help, but didn't really, I I felt like it didn't hold back some of the other students. The the net result of that is, though, that I think that there are students who had different modalities of learning 
who would have benefited from a creative process or a project-based process or a more tactile process or visual process um, who weren't able to access that before they did the formal writing. Um, so I began really thinking about if I could create creative projects that would help students to understand the text that they read before they wrote about it in this very structured way, what would those things be? Um, and the very first one that I did was with poetry. Um, and all that I did was take uh, an, a project that I had done with students in the past, and it used to be extension, and did that first. Um, so we were writing um, a text-dependent analysis question um, about the poem A Poison Tree by William Blake. Um, it's great. They love it every year because it's a poison tree. And like, <laughs> there's a really kind of shady narrator who like is trying to poison his enemy, but he does it in the form of um, this apple, right? That is like shiny and bright. And it's supposed to represent how, you know, sometimes we're like very nice uh, on, on the outside to someone, but on the inside we have poison for them, right? And that, that poison is not just for the enemy, right? But that jealousy or that envy or that hate, right? Really is a poison for us too. So it, it's a super great poem. And what I asked the students to do was to make a comic book version of it and that they could create a comic book version of the poem. It needed to be at least six panels um, and they could represent the images in the poem however they wanted. So some students did do a pretty line by line interpretation. You know, um, I, I told my anger to my friend. Uh, I had anger with my friend. I told my friend his, his wrath did end, right? And so it literally was uh, two people like talking and, and talking it out and then hugging. Um, you know, and as you get more into the poem, there's a section where like anger grows an apple out of a tree, you know, and so they, they you know, drew the tree beautifully um, and, you know, the apple and sometimes the apple had like a worm in it to like represent that it was, you know, poison or, or whatever. But some of the other students took it a step further and instead created a comic maybe that showed their interactions with some mean girls at a previous school that they had been at and overlaid on top of it, the text, um, and maybe that apple, right, was, you know, someone's lipstick or was um, a muffin with like some apples on it or like some other way of interpreting mm -hmm. the text, but it, it still showed that they understood the, the duplicity um, of the narrator, right? Um, and this was great. The students loved doing it. I had a whole day where they got to show the different um, examples of it to each other and talk about the different ways that we had interpreted the poem. Um, not all of my students were amazing artists. Artists. I wasn't grading them on their art capability, um, but I wanted them to really try their best to interpret it. And so some of them were like super stellar and some of them were what I would do if I was given this assignment, which was like, you know, stick figures. Like I, I'm, I'm not a good artist at all. Um, but let me tell you, those were some of the best TDA essays that I had gotten um, all year. And I think part of it was because they had spent so much time interpreting every single line and the images and then discussing different interpretations through the art project. Um, and I really, really loved doing it. The kids had fun with it. And in some ways, I felt like they were more resigned to write a boring essay after having done something that felt creative. Now, it did take a longer time to do when I was, you know, pacing out the writing that I was doing. And as I'm looking into next year, that's something for me to keep in mind, that if I want to add more what I'm calling like creative project-based pre-writing um, into some of the projects 
projects that we're doing, I want to make sure that I really have time to do it well. But absolutely, those results showed on what the students were able to do because they had to think so critically. And there were students who had really struggled all year to think through poetic language. But by having something that they were familiar with in art, in tactile um, kind of thinking, in interpretation of uh, you know, words into panels into a comic book that that felt familiar to them. Um, they did much better at accessing the material, and I think wrote stronger essays. So, uh, really, really great sort of way to think is sort of project-based pre-writing, um, and I'm going to be thinking about it a lot as I move into next year. That's so awesome. I would also be the kid who drew a stick figure. Um, like that's so cool though. Speaking of, uh, things that are cool and getting us to think deeper and more critically, um, our, our next uh, category is critical thinking or deeper reading. So Emily, do you have any tips or suggestions from the content area about how to get kids thinking, um, deeper or more critically when it comes to their reading? Yeah, I actually came back to Nearpod for this one. Um, as a content teacher, obviously we do a lot of reading of primary sources, which can be really hard trying to read the Magna Carta with language from the 13th, 1300s is hard. Um, so what I do a lot is I will take the text and put it on a the background of a drawlet in Nearpod so that way the kids can interact with it. Um, you can set your background on drawlets to be anything you want. So I will take that text and put it on the background. And then I'll usually do a couple different things with that same text. I will have them, usually the first thing I do is we do our first reading together. Or no, sorry. I have them do the first reading in Nearpod on the drawlet. And I have them highlight any words that they don't know. And I really like doing it that way because with the drawlets, none of the other students can see what they're highlighting. So it's private. So it's not like every, I used to do this just on the blackboard in just on the whiteboard in blackboard. And it, like I was finding that students weren't highlighting things because they didn't want their peers to see what they were highlighting. So with this way, I'm the only one who can see what they're highlighting, but I can also see if everybody is highlighting similar words, which generally they are, which is what I expect them to. Um, but every once in a while, there's one that surprises me. Um, so then we'll go through and we'll talk about the words that they don't know. But then I will also use that same text to have the kids highlight evidence. So we'll talk about the question and I'll give them something specific to look for. And then I'll have them go in their text and highlight that evidence. And then we can share somebody's and talk about it and do all of that. And that has really been helpful um, to be able to have that text there for them to highlight and use and for them to do it in privately before we talk about it has been really beneficial. Absolutely. And still in a way that they're held accountable. I think one of the things about Nearpod that is particularly powerful is that it is a tool that is meant to hold students accountable. It's really easy right. on those draw out slides for you to monitor what students are doing because you have on the teacher panel, right, the ability to kind of watch them all doing it at one go. And you can see when a student has moved off of the tab that has um, uh, their their 
draw it page on it or their Nearpod on it um, to go to someplace else. And so like, I can't tell you how often I've been able to say, you know, Sarah, come on back um, or, you know, Tim, come on back, you know, because I see that they've moved off their page. Right. And, and so it's really good on that level. But then also in an activity like this that I think would have been very difficult to monitor drawing and highlighting in this sort of virtual environment, the ability for you to see that all on your teacher page at the same time really does sort of help you in your ability to pinpoint who needs some extra assistance, who's just working um, and frees you up a lot. So I, I think that's a fabulous, fabulous technique. What is your um, strategy for critical reading? My strategy for critical reading and critical thinking is actually one that I started using last year. And I have really come to love this year, which is co-opting the language of drafting to talk about reading. Now, this is not something that I came up with. Um, this is from the work of Kelly Gallagher um, and in his book, Deeper Reading. Um, so I read this book. I thought it was absolutely fabulous. I was really looking for some strategies to help my students uh, close read, annotate, do some of that work a little bit better. Um, and there's a, a million fantastic resources um, to give a little bit of a spoiler to my summer reads. I'm hoping to actually reread the book this summer as one of my summer reads um, because there was so much there that I'm, I'm sure that there's stuff that I missed. <laughs> and now that I've implemented a few of his suggestions, I, I want to try some of the others. Um, but one of the things that was really important was he talked about um, how students have an understanding with the writing process that things take multiple drafts, that from the time students are very little in elementary school, we talk to students about how your first draft is not your best draft and it shouldn't be your final draft, that you should go back and change things um, and critically look at something um, and that there's a, a process to actually turning out a good essay or a good poster or a good anything that has a, a product at the end, but that we don't often talk with students about um, that reading is a process as well. And as a result, many students will read something through once, even some of our most diligent readers who really are taking their time with every sentence, um, and they'll read it through once, and then they're just relying on their memory from there on out, right? They don't go back into the text. They don't reread the text. Um, you know, they just, I, I've done it once, I'm done. Um, so talking with students at the beginning of the year about how reading is exactly the same as writing. It also takes multiple drafts to understand what you read, particularly as you are reading more dense um, and more uh, critical topics, right? Things, things that are a, a little bit more challenging to read. And that each of your drafts should really have a purpose. The same way that when you're writing something, right, when you're pre-writing or you're coming up with ideas, right, you want to start by just kind of getting a general sense for what are my general thoughts about this? Can I find evidence to support that? Okay, can I organize this into a way that makes sense? Can I go back and make sure that I've explained my ideas? Can I go back and make sure that my language flows and that I have you know, periods and capitalization marks and apostrophes in all the right places? That your drafts are there to help you know what to concentrate on at each stage. Um, and teaching students to use a draft reading process where the first time you're reading through, you're looking for certain uh, 
markers uh, depending on the kind of reading that you're doing, right? So a first draft reading for a poem um, versus a piece of nonfiction versus a piece of fiction are going to be different, but there are certain things that you're going to look for. You're going to look um, at, you know, what the subject is and what is being said about the subject, the tone um, of that particular piece. And you're going to look at the structure and how does that sort of support the tone that's being talked about for the subject. You can look at the individual language level and that each one of those is going to give more and more meaning. Um, so that is my, my big tip um, from this year is to make sure to use the language of drafting when talking about the reading process because it helps to justify students why do we keep going back to the text why do we keep going back to the text um, you know because in in their minds very often I've read it once therefore I understand but you know there's already sort of an implicit understanding that we can draw from in the language of drafting as as it relates to writing um, and why not use that advantage when it comes to a critical reading as well I really like that I might steal that take it it's all yours <laughs> It is not my idea. So, <laughs> all right. So our last one for this section um, is organization tool or technique. And let me tell you, I feel like I have needed an organizational tool <laughs> this year. Um, there has been so much, I think, on, on both of our plates um, um, that I think without some organization, it would have been crazy. So did you have a particular tool or technique or something that helped keep you sane during these last, uh, last few months? I actually have two for two different reasons. Ooh, I'm excited. <laughs> so Google Keep is my go-to, but my go-to personally. Um, it's on my phone and I use it all the time. And I love the shout out to Ann Noonan who taught this to me at PTC like two years ago. And I have told everybody about it ever since. With Google Keep, you can set your notes so it will pop up and have a reminder for you either at a specific time or at a specific place so you can set locations on it so what i'll do a lot is like put my grocery list on it and then have it put it for the location of the grocery store so when i get to the grocery store because it has the address it just pops up and I don't have to try to find my grocery list. Um, so that's my personal one. And I love how it's on my phone and my computer. So I'll do like personal to-do lists on there. I pretty much have just like a winning one on there all the time. So that's my personal one. For school, I have started using OneNote a lot. I have been loving the tabs in OneNote. So I have tabs in OneNote for different things. So I have like a student tab. I, I just have a tab that says to do, which is my running to do list. Um, but then I have like a student's tab. I have like a lesson ideas tab that I throw ideas on when I get it. Um, and so I have tabs for all of these different things. And that has been amazing in and of itself, just having the tabs and not having one big giant list of ideas. I am a huge lover of OneNote. Um, I'm really excited that it's something that um, hopefully I'll be able to do some more experimenting with, you know, in the next couple of years in terms of teaching. But I, I just think it is so great the way it is intuitively organized. It really does feel like a notebook. <laughs> 
<laughs> um, and there's so much that you can insert into it too, right? Like it's it's very useful in terms of the other integrations in terms of video and audio and all that kind of stuff. There really is a lot that you can do with it. Um, and so it, it feels as flexible as, a, you know, a blank, you know, college-wide ruled notebook that you have your pen for and your ability to draw and make lists and, you know, insert different things into just with a tech integration. So I think that one is super, super perfect. You're, you use a Microsoft, you've experimented with Microsoft this year too, right? Yes. So this year was the year that I told myself from the beginning of the year that I was going to use a like task management system because every year I feel like I run into this problem of the front end of teaching versus the back end of teaching. I, I, many times with my friends when I try to explain what it is like to be a teacher, it's like there are two very different jobs. And one of the jobs is about um, design, creating the materials, creating the lesson plans. It's all of that forward facing stuff. And that is one job. And then there's the back end, right? There's um, actually taking those tools and uh, doing, you know, a, responsive work with students and remediating um, and responding to emails and doing all the little tasks of different inputs for students um, and emails back and forth between teachers or MTSS meetings and, and things like that, right? So there's like the front end of teaching and the back end of teaching. And that's why summer is so critical because you need time um, to really think through the process of creation and to think through um, what you're creating so that when you're in the middle of the school year, you're not trying to come up with all of your ideas like from scratch um you know when you're in sort of like a, a time pressure or a, a time crunch kind of kind of place um i really sometimes struggle though because i am a more creative person i want to spend a lot of time on the creation of materials and the creation of stuff um, or lesson planning or that kind of stuff and as a result i will then get to the end of the day and be like oh there's these like 17 other things that i was supposed to do um and now i'm like rushing to get those tasks done um and and also, you tend to get a lot of things where, you know, I don't have to do this today, but I need to do it sometime in the next two weeks. And, and so how should I order things back and forth? Um, so this year, I used Microsoft to do in order to do that. Um, but what's nice about it is that it allowed me to have a practice every single day of sitting down to my computer and really rigorously planning my day. Um, and it really turned into a, a great system for me as an educator. I was lucky that I was um, able to go with several other educators in February um, to uh, a CA, uh, C-A-R-E training, a care training um, that was all about reducing teacher burnout. And it was all about sort of mindfulness techniques um, in uh, teaching spaces. And we talked a lot about the idea of setting an intention for today and sort of reasonable expectations of production and setting boundaries for ourselves. Um, and so we actually, as a group, um, uh, decided that we were going to set an intention every single day with each other, um, starting in February and moving through the rest of the year. So every day I would sit down, I would make my sort of mindfulness intention <laughs> for the day with my group. And then I would open Microsoft to do. And because it integrated into Outlook, which is where all of our emails are located, I could, you know, turn over my daily list and then look at, 
you know, all of the lists had been integrated in the plan tab and I could just press that tab and say, okay, based on this, these are the things that need to be done in, in this order. And if at any point I had bigger projects that had a lot of subtasks, I could just go to that project and see where I am I in the process of this. But having a bigger bird's eye view of the year um, was really, really good. I don't think it necessarily needs to be Microsoft to do that you use. For me though, it, it was better because it integrated into Outlook and so many of the tasks that I did in terms of inputs and meetings and things like that are already part of the Outlook system. So it was really seamless. Um, but there are other things that you you can do with this. But I think really having a practice this year of setting time aside to plan my day very intentionally um, and with a certain amount of you know, respect for myself and respect for my colleagues and respect for my students and, and all that kind of stuff did did make a, a valuable and meaningful difference um, in my day. I was gonna say, I feel so much better when I have a list. It, it makes a big difference. And I think it's more than just having a list. It's having a list that works for you, right? Like what's great about Microsoft to do was that I didn't have to generate that daily list every single day. I could just like hit a button and it would reappear in my day. And then I could have different lists that showed my different projects and meetings and, and link those things into the calendar so that I could go back and see how am I progressing on, you know, something like planning for the next unit or, um, you know, making quizzes and tests ahead or something like that. But then I could hit the plan tab and see, you know, this has to get done today. You know, this has to get done tomorrow, get done by the end of the week. Um, and it made it a lot. I, I felt on top of things more um, because of the way it integrated those due dates and, and siphoned that off for me. I felt like as long as a task made it into my task management system, I felt incredibly confident that it would get done and it would get done on time. Um, and that I think was a great relief to me as an educator because brains are super fallible and it's hard. Brains are not, they're great at solving problems, but they're not always great at keeping information in the long term if you're not always using it. Um, things do slip through the cracks. We have a million uh, things pulling on our attention. Um, and the fact that I felt like I had a system that I had confidence in um, really made a huge difference in terms of my, my mental health. And I, I also think in terms of my teaching this year. And I think that is the end of our list. So these are our summer uh, Allison and Emily favorites for this year. Um, next year, we will have a wrap up of the same thing. So maybe some things that um, have made it or not made it onto the podcast. Um, but we're, you know, looking for those little things that you can sort of hunt or use. If you have a favorite um, that was not mentioned here that you would like to get a shout out, um, please let us know by commenting on this episode with your favorite or sending it to us in a DM. We are actively looking for uh, our triads and tools for next year. So any suggestions uh, that you have, we are absolutely open to trying in our classrooms. Um, I think this is actually a perfect time for us to segue into our summer PD. Each of us has um, a podcast, a summer read, and some other sort of PD kind of stuff that we're looking to do with our summer. So why don't we take a few minutes and talk about um, what's coming up this summer for us. So Emily, what is coming up for you this summer? What are you looking forward to? Um, who are you listening to? What are you hoping to read? What are you hoping to do? Um, any fun announcements that you would like to make? <laughs> um, I feel like all of my announcements that I wanted to make got canceled. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, my One of the podcasts that I was listening to before was the Edu Duck Tape 
podcast. Don't say that five times fast. Um, <laughs> which I kind of stopped listening to because life got really crazy. Um, so I'm hoping to get back to um, listening to some of that this summer. Summer is the perfect time to catch up. I was going to say, because I'll have more time. <laughs> um, and I have some books on my list. I just got the book, 40 Ways to Inject Creativity into Your Classroom with Adobe Spark. Um, and I've been playing around with Adobe Spark. I've used it a couple different ways. And I really want to try to get the kids using it next year. Um, I need to make sure the kids can use it. Um, but I I have some ideas and I'm really excited to check out um, the book. It's by Monica Burns. And I actually saw her at ISTE. I went to one of her um, presentations and now I get her newsletter and <laughs> she has like a tech club that I'm in. Um, and it's like 10 bucks a month or something. So that's also on my list actually is to go through all of her resources <laughs> because I'm in it and I like peek at the resources every month, but I haven't really sat down and like gone through and really looked at them. Yeah. Well, it's hard during the school year to have the bandwidth for that, right? Like the summers are made for like, let's play out a bunch of tools and, and get excited without that like time pressure. Yeah. And the other book that's on my list is, um, we talked about it last podcast, but the tie baker, tie breaker by Rebecca Gibney on my Yay! list to read. I know you've already read it. Um, yes. <laughs> so I'm super excited to read that one. And on my other other things to do list. I feel like this happens every year. I end up with like a massive list of things to do. Um, I want to check into the Hive Summit and the Ditch That Textbook Summit. Mm -hmm. Both of them are free. I've done them, I think, at least last summer. Definitely want to look into those again, whenever they're happening. I don't know dates or anything, but watch for them. They'll be on Twitter. They'll push it out. Um, and I have some PEEP presentations I want to check out. I actually still have some ISTE presentations from last summer that I want to look at. I'm hoping I can still access them. So that's on my list of just like catching up on all of those like random things, especially since I'm getting a new curriculum next year, like looking for resources through those eyes of trying to find things for that aspect. So I think all of those things will keep me pretty busy along with doing my internship to finish up my tech certification. So Yay! <laughs> I'll be busy. Yes, you have so many things to do. I mean, this is in no way is untypical for you, right? Like you're always doing like 1700 things. But I think that this is all really, really good. I think that like compared to some of the other years, I feel like you've actually narrowed down this list, which like, <laughs> bravo, that's excellent. Um, I, it was funny as you were talking about the Pete presentations, I was like, oh yeah, that's right. Um, I, I took gratuitous notes when I was at Pete and I actually was going through them the other day and there were a couple of notes that I made that I didn't understand. So I really yeah. want to go back, not necessarily to watch new presentations, but to watch presentations that I was definitely in so I can understand what I wrote to myself. Because clearly I thought it was important, guys. I put it in my notes, uh, but I, I had to figure something out. Um, so th that sounds like an excellent summer. Um, and I, the other thing that I always try to remind myself at least when putting together summer PD plans and planning plans is that, you know, summer is like, it's, it's not really bonus time for teachers, but like, 
to conceive of it that way, that anything I get done during the summer or think through during the summer is extra time and extra bandwidth that I'm going to get back during the school year. So like you can't fail at summer PD. Any little step you take um, is good and positive and something that is going to be helpful for you uh, later in the year as well. So I am also excited for very similar things. Um, I would love to catch up on some podcasts, though. My podcast recommendation um, is the Edumagic podcast. Um, it is primarily focused at new teachers, um, people who are becoming educators. Um, but Sam is uh, an amazing interviewer. And I think that a lot of the questions that she asks are absolutely going to be things that will resonate with um, existing um, and sort of more uh, more professional educators um, who've, who've been in the field for much longer periods of time. Um, I do have a, a interview that went up with her pretty recently. Um, so absolutely check uh, out that interview uh, if you wanna hear a little bit more about me talking about uh, online education and sort of uh, online education during, during this time period. Um, it's absolutely a great episode, um, but also the rest of them are phenomenal. And if you do happen to know a new educator in your life, for someone who is joining the field or thinking about joining the field, um, this podcast really is a wonderful way to help get new teachers sort of started thinking about some of the issues in education. Um, and I think also to provide them with some, some real comfort um, that the first few years of teaching are so hard. Um, and I think that Sam's podcast does a great job of creating a sense of community in that experience. I wish that I had had uh, a podcast like this to listen to my first few years of teaching. So absolutely check that out. Um, I was just gonna say I was on that podcast too. So um, if you go back to the beginning, you can hear both of us. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> so many, so many. Sam's, Sam is excellent um, and a, a great friend of the show. Um, you know, we're not so secretly trying to get her on next season. So. <laughs> Um, so my summer reads, um, I already sort of previewed one of them. I would love to take a look at Kelly Gallagher's work. I've already read uh, Deeper Reading, um, but he also has another book called Write Like This that is specifically about sort of models and the modeling process when you're writing. Um, so I'd love to do a read of each of those because I am looking at doing next year um, some some like potentially big changes to the way that I, I think about and do writing um, across sort of the reading and writing spectrum in my class. Um, and I, I'd love to get um, some feedback um, from someone like Gallagher, who does, I think, such fantastic work. Um, I'd also love to look into, and, and I don't think she has like a book specifically, but she has materials that you can get. Um, and I'd love to spend some time with those and with her blog, um, is Marsha Kish, who uh, writes about the three phases of blended learning. So while I am not actually a teacher in a blended learning environment right now, um, I think there is a lot of really great things to learn. And there's a lot of pedagogy that is applicable from what's happening in blended learning and blended classrooms um, sort of uh, across the country, certainly right now during our time of, of distance learning and preparing for next year. Um, but th there are people who have, you know, been treading these waters for a very, very long time. Um, I, I love one of the terms uh, that someone used to talk about uh, people who have done alternative teaching. So whether it's cyber education like Emily and I or blended learning uh, kind of environments um, that they're like Sherpas, right? Sort of showing showing people the way to, to climb very difficult mountains. 
mountains. Um, so I, she seems to be sort of a Sherpa of the blended learning environment. And I think that there's a lot that I can learn as a cyber educator from blended learning environments. What are some of the things and thoughts and concerns and pedagogy that they're thinking about? And then how can I translate that into my own virtual classroom? So it's, it's sort of more of a macro um, one to take a look at. But I'm, I'm interested because I've heard her referenced in many, many, many of the sessions that I went to this year. And so I, I feel like um, there might be some, some good stuff for me to, to pull apart. Um, the last thing that I want to do is I'd love to uh, do some certifications for Microsoft. Um, I am fairly Google <laughs> Google based right now, um, but I'm open to some other platforms and, and to seeing what else is available. Um, and I feel very comfortable and confident with my Google skills. And so I feel like I'm, I'm ready to expand the horizon a little bit. So I'm looking into some uh, Microsoft certifications and taking some of their coursework um, for teachers and sort of setting up their teacher platform um, and seeing how that might be useful to me, hopefully, uh, in the next couple of years. Wow, I, I cannot believe that we have actually made it to the end of the year, that summer is upon us. Um, before we like wrap this up and actually go off to our summer PD plans, take a little break with the podcast for a few months. Um, Emily, is there anything that you want to say to our community out there um, before we head off to our summer breaks? So even though we're going on summer break, we're not disappearing. So please reach out to us. Keep the conversation going. Um, if you're finding out that your school is doing something in August and you're like, I need help. I don't know how to set this up. Talk to us. We will help you. Um, don't, as you're, as you're doing your own PD this summer, like it's really easy to get bogged down in the what ifs for August right now. Um, and I don't think any of us have any clue what August is going to look like. Don't listen to anybody who says they know what August is going to look like. <laughs> um, so if you're like, I want to keep my options open. I want to know how you set things up. I have questions. Like, talk to us. If you're also like, I just want to shut out all the noise and hide on a beach with my book. That is also totally okay. <laughs> um, so, but we are not actually disappearing for the summer. We're just not podcasting. Um, so reach out, keep the conversation going. We will be happy to help you however we can. Um, and I'm just so thankful that so many of you listened and have kept listening. And we hope that you will join us for season two, which is mind boggling and exciting. I, I literally don't think I could have said any of that any better. The only thing that I want to add in um, is that we are in the planning process for season two. And so if you have, a, once again, a particular piece of technology, a pedagogical technique, um, a person that you think uh, would be a really great person for us to interview or to do a try it with, if you are a person who would like uh, to, to be interviewed to try it with, please let us know um, because we're, we're really excited. Um, I know that we've already started tentatively talking about some of the things that we have planned um, and we think it's going to be a fantastic season. Thank you guys so much for coming along for season one. Um, we're hoping that things will only uh, get better and, and better as time goes on. Um, but this has been a fantastic season. Thank you so much for joining us on it. Um, and we're excited to have you along for the rest of the ride. So 
everyone the last time we're going to do this for this school year. Thank you so much for joining us on the Cyber Sisters podcast season one. We are so thankful that you have gone on this incredible journey with us together. Um, and we're really excited to be back for season two, which will be coming out at the end of August. In the meantime, please keep in touch with us on our socials. We're on Twitter at, at Allison K Teaches and at Sattler Cyber. Please like, comment, and subscribe. We always appreciate keeping the conversation going. And congratulations to those of you finishing up the school year. This one was a doozy. Have a safe and fabulous summer. And as always, keep trying hard.